I thought, <laughs> very uncharacteristically of me, what a beautiful thing it is to need God. I feel like it is very un-American for me to say something about needing someone else. We don't like to generally be codependent on people. You hear that term a lot used in very negative lights. Um, and if you're anything like me, you may want to be with other people. You may love being other people, having other people in your life. But needing other people? Unless things are so wildly out of your control that you're like, well, only God can solve that. That's when we like to need God. But it is a beautiful thing to need God in every single moment in life. There is a scripture that, depending on how you read it, can sound really beautiful or really painful, um, which is that God is made perfect in our weakness. And that can sound like a really beautiful thing if you're thinking about that, oh, he's made perfect when we don't have enough. And it can sound really painful when you are realizing, okay, so I need to be weak if he's going to be perfect. Depending on how you read that, very different uh, interpretations. But I think that there's a shame that needs to lift off of us when we think of needing him. Because there's nothing wrong with needing. We're human. That's part of who we are. And there's nothing wrong or lesser about that. It's just a part of life. And I think the more that we actually learn to need him uh, at the times when we don't want to admit that we need him, and actually let ourselves need him more and more. That means that he can reside in us more and more, that he can be shown through us more and more. And that means that the world around us is exposed to him more and more. So whether you're hoping for that deeper intimacy with him for yourself or for the people around you, let yourself need him a little bit today. Tell yourself it's okay. Kind of reprogram yourself a little bit if you need to, because it's pretty common with Christianity to have to unlearn a lot to seem like a fool um, to learn how to be wise. And that's okay. So this morning we're going to pray and then we're going to jump into it. So God, God, we need you this morning. We need you ourselves, God. This community needs you, this neighborhood, this world, this generation, this nation, each and every person on this earth, whether they know it or not, Lord, we need you. And we want to need you more, God. We understand that that may mean that we need to be weak, that we may not need to be in control. God, we relinquish all of that, God. God, if you are wanting to go higher, and that means we need to go a little lower, so be it. If you want to be made perfect, and that means we need to be a little weaker, so be it, God. If you want to take the reins, and that means we have our hands off, so be it. Your will, your way, God. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. And may we look forward to that, God. May we learn to love the need that we have for you, Jesus, more and more with each day, with each note we are singing, with each word we are proclaiming this morning, God. We thank you for being a God that we can trust in our need, that loves us in our need, that empowers us, that proves himself good and faithful and holy and true in every moment of need that we have. So God, we need you this morning. We need you to come into this place, God, and prove yourself even more. We love you and we honor you. And it is in your holy and almighty name that we pray. Amen. All right, church, let's sing this out together this morning. Jacob, whose love endures through generations. 
nations. I know that you will keep your covenant. I'm calling on the God of Moses, the one who opened up the oceans. I need you now to do the same thing for me, for me, for me. Oh God, my God, I need you. Oh God, my God, I need you now. How I need you now. Oh rock, oh rock of ages, I'm standing on your faithfulness. On your faithfulness. I'm calling on the God of Mary, whose favor rests upon the lowly. I know in you all things are possible. Calling on the God of David, who made a shepherd boy courageous. I may not face Goliath, but I've got my own giants. Oh God, my God, I need you. Oh God, my God, I need you now.
Bye. 
lives be an offering that's pleasing to you, a sacrifice most holy, most worthy, would you make us new in you? Oh, I won't let the rocks cry out in my
your voice, church. Oh, 
keep worshiping church as I talk to you. Kyle asked me to share this, something that I had shared with him. And he said, you have to share it with the church, but it's my worship, so it might be fumbled, it might be human. I was talking with God, and I was being very harsh on myself. And I was frustrated. I can't believe I did this. I can't believe I messed this up. I should know how to do this right by now. This is so small, Danielle. How are you not getting this straight? On and on and on and on. And I'm just even talking to just about like things you forget to do. I'm just talking about life when you're just like, oh, you know, this, that, and the other thing. And then I finally felt like I stopped talking long enough that God could just like fit a word in. And he was like, you know, that's like no big thing. And I thought he was going to talk to me about my attitude toward myself. And he did. But the point that he was making in that thing was like, Danielle, that's not like a big thing. You just made a mistake. And that's hard for certain personalities in this room. Like, it's hard for me. It's hard to wrestle with that. So I kept finding myself saying that from time to time throughout the last next couple of days. And he's like, it's just a mistake, Daniel. It's just a mistake. And then, because this is a real church, we can talk real, right? Like, really real. Like, race real. Okay? So... I was watching a particular interview with a, a famous black man, and he was being interviewed, and he was explaining to the interviewer why he doesn't like the concept of Black History Month. And this is something that I had heard before Black History Month began, or as it started. And he was being interviewed by a white Jewish man, and he was trying to get this man being interviewed to explain the why. Or at least the man being interviewed was trying to explain the why and not just be a sound bite of this person doesn't like Black History Month. And he said, well, is there a white month? And he said, well, I'm Jewish. And he said, great, is there a Jewish month? He goes, I don't want a Jewish month. And the man said, and I don't want a Black History Month because I want us to understand that our history is all-inclusive of us and that it didn't just live in a segregated time where we should absolutely kind of like peek at it and then keep going. Now, there's a million different opinions in here about this. Do you understand? I know that. But I'm trying to explain to you that when I heard that, I said, how can it go this long and we are still making these mistakes? And I, as soon as I said it, heard silence. And I said, what? And he said, this isn't a mistake. This is sin. What do I mean? What God was trying to explain to me is that in life and in Christianity and inside the church walls, we have used the words mistake and sin interchangeably to make people more comfortable. So when someone's trying their best, but they keep messing up, 
we try to make them feel better from our empathy. And we tell them, don't, don't worry about it. God understands it's just a mistake. But you don't need to repent of mistakes. You need to repent from sin. So if we keep telling each other, that's my mistake, but it's sin, we're never going to get anywhere with God. So as we hear about these outpourings around our country right now, and we hear about where they are happening and where they aren't happening, and people groups that they're happening with and people groups that they're not happening with, I want to drill down and learn from what I've been learning and understand this. Worship, beautiful. We just did it. Honor, gorgeous. Listening to the word, brilliant. Feasting on the word, you better believe it. But repentance is the result of kindness. The kindness of God, the word says, leads us to repentance. So if there are things, church, that you find you need to not say, I'm sorry, I made a mistake about, but you need to repent of, don't be afraid of it. That We talked about that stigma. Stop watering down sin. We have to be able to look at it in a full mirror and be like, yep, that's me. That's what I've done. I have been wrong. Jesus, forgive me. I repent. And that's how we be, become new. Not making it less. We did less. Thank God. Grace says we didn't need to do more to be forgiven. That's where the more comes in. So if I'm ever talking to you and I'm telling you my woes and you hear me talking about sin, please don't tell me it's okay, Danielle. God understands it was just a mistake. I need you to tell me that's sin. It's not something to be embarrassed about. It's something to repent of. Believe me, I know what I'm talking about. It is vital that we get on our faces before God and not be embarrassed that we have sinned. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. So if this is one of the first times you have ever heard it, you are in the room of same, same people. For the cross, the ground is level at the foot of the cross. God, we lift you high. We lift you high. We lift you high. We lift you high. We lift you high, Father, with our repentance. We lift you high, Father, with our earnestness in front of you. We lift, our, we lift you, Father, higher when we humble ourselves. And I thank you for grace, God, that forgives that doesn't belittle what I did, but forgives it. That forgives it. Forgives it, God. I understand that today I need as much forgiveness as I did yesterday. Thank you, Father, for not letting the cross be the only time I get to come to you for forgiveness. My salvation is straight with you, but my walk, God, it needs so much covering. And Lord, I pray that you would teach our house that every step of every day needs to involve repentance. Not just worship, you love it. Not just prayer, you love it. But repentance, we need it. It's something, Father, that keeps me from you. When I feel stable outside of you, God, I feel far from you. So Father, I pray, Lord, that you don't take my stability away, but you make me feel firm, my feet firm in repentance.
so that no matter what comes, my spirit is stable. My spirit is stable in you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Hallelujah. Amen. Well, kiddos, if we can make this segue like that didn't just happen. <laughs> kiddos, follow the lollipop and pastors yes. Kevin and Lisa. Yes. Shout out the kids. Yeah, and one more thing before we're seated. Pastor Ron, he's unwell this morning, but it's his birthday today. Yeah. So is this, yeah, happy birthday, Pastor Ron. <laughs> we love you so much. <laughs> And we pray for your healing. Can we just pray? Oh, yeah. Hey, Pastor, this is Pastor Irene. This is Pastor Ron's wife. Would you guys mind just sticking out your hands? Yes. Toward, Pastor Ron is one of the most amazing men. Yes. He's been faithful and true throughout this entire journey. Ron and Irene were here from day one. And they have just sown into people's lives time and time again. And we're just going to believe for healing. Yes. Like, it stinks Absolutely. to be sick any day. But to be sick on your birthday? Come on, that's messed up. Father, in the name of Jesus. In the name of Father, in the name of Jesus, we speak to whatever that yes. sickness is. In the name of Jesus, we pray health and wholeness over yes. Ron right now. From the top of his head to the bottom of his feet, that every atom must align with the health that you bought on the cross by your stripes. He is healed. We speak peace and health and wholeness over his body. Even now, rest in his soul in Jesus' name. I pray, Lord God, that you may restore him even as we're praying right now. Even as, as, Ron, as uh, Irene uh, goes home today. Day, Lord God, to be with Ron, that there's this beautiful moment where there's beautiful healing in the name yes, of Jesus. Yes, we thank Lord. you for all the seeds sown, Lord God. We pray a harvest of righteousness, a harvest of blessing, of favor over yes, Ron in this, this coming Lord. year, that the best in his life is not behind him, but in front of him, Lord God, that every seed that he's planted in others and in your kingdom may be returned a hundredfold. Come on, a hundredfold. We love you. We praise you. We pray this together, Daddy. We touch it in agreement. And in Jesus' name, we say amen, amen. and amen. Amen, amen, amen. We love look, we love them. We just love them. Hey, let me just welcome all of our guests today, too. If you're a guest today, welcome to Connect Church. We're so glad to have you today. Thank you for being here, being a part of this with us. We pray you make this your church community because that's what we want to do. We want to do, we want to do life in community together. Together, together, because we are better, we are better together. That's not a political statement, it's a spiritual truth. Where two touch something, it's being done by the Father. When two come together in Jesus' name, Jesus is there. We are better together. You can have a relationship with Jesus on your own, but you can't have the power of what happens in the house by yourself. We are better together. Well, look, as you're being seated, why don't you find two or three people you didn't come to church with. Tell them hi. Give them a high five if they're comfortable. A fist bump, an air high five, whatever you feel like. <laughs> I love what Pastor Danielle just said right there. We did not make mistakes in our past. We sinned. Racism is not a mistake. It's a sin. Injustice is not a mistake. It's a sin. A lack of forgiveness of people is not a mistake, it's a sin. And there's nothing wrong with calling things sin because actually when we call things, you've heard me say, you've been around this church long enough, you know that you've heard me say, we are, we are, not, 
uh, we are not a group of mistakers in need of correction. We are a group of sinners in need of a Savior. We are a group of sinners. That's all right. I'm included. We're all a bunch of sinners. It's all right. That's, that, just because that's what I've done and that's what I continue to do until I go home to be with him, that's not who I am. That doesn't identify me. But I do know this, that I'm not going to call a mistake what he calls sin. I'm not going to call that's not a big deal when he says it is a big deal. And it's not because he has big 10, a big 10 on the scoreboard, and that's our big 10. No, no, missing who he is. Missing our chance to be a light bearer, to carry his light, his love, his mercy, his grace into the world around us. Man, what a privilege it is to be on this side of the veil. I'm going to say that. What a privilege it is to be on this side of the veil. I know we're all thinking, man, I can't wait to get to the other side of the veil. Heaven's going to be awesome. It's going to be off the hook. It is. It's going to be incredible. But, man, what a privilege it is to be on this side of the veil with the king. I'm so glad. And all repentance does is it changes who we are and the direction we're walking so that we can get closer to who he is. That's all that we're saying is, God, I recognize there's things in me that aren't in you. And I don't want them in me anymore because I want to be less of me more of you. That's the prayer. Hey, and that's what this church is all about. Really, it is. If you want to know what it really is all about, it's, it's not about ev- all the, the glitz and the glamour. It really is just about Jesus and less of us helping us. And how do we do that? We do that through discipleship, our discipleship groups, which are men, which is called Forged, and ladies, it's called Shoulder to Shoulder. And you can sign up for those things, find out when they are uh, on the QR code that you'll find all around. You'll find it up on screen later as well. Um, but I just wanted to give that a shout out. One more thing I want to give a shout out to before we hop into the word, because I don't know about you, but after that worship, I'm ready for the word, um, is yesterday we had our Thy Kingdom Crumb, our food ministry. Uh, that's our mobile food truck ministry. You see the truck out there all the time. It went out yesterday. We served 165 meals in 40 minutes, which is staggeringly crazy, right? It's just we, had, we, we ran out of food. And again, it's not that we run out of food because we don't want to feed more people. It's just the resource that we have. And we, uh, we saw six salvations yesterday during that 40 minutes, three of which were middle schoolers. Come on, that is awesome. That's what we're about, making sure that it's a, not just a multi-ethnic church, a multicultural church. It's a multi-generational church because God is a God of multi-ethnicity, multicultural, and multi-generations. He's the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Amen? Awesome. Well, hey, great job, TKC. By the way, it's only 40 minutes sometime, most of the time anyway, so if you're looking for a place to serve, check it out. It's a great place to be a part of what God's doing in and through this church. All right, hey, are you ready for the word? Let's, uh, let's, why don't, since you have your Bible, why don't you open with me to 2 Samuel chapter 9. 2 Samuel chapter 9. And 2 Samuel is the 10th book of the Old Testament. And, uh, and we're going to actually do, the, we're going to be in the scripture for two weeks. Because I said to Danielle yesterday, as I started going through all of my notes Thursday, Friday, and Saturday, I just had too many. And you're going to be thankful that I'm doing this in two weeks, right? Amen. That's just, it's better. But if you need a title for my message, it's A Seat at the Table. A Seat at the Table. We talk about this concept all the time. People are trying to get a seat at the table. I'm, I'm sure, how many of you remember uh, those Thanksgiving meals at your grandparents' house when you were a kid, right? You, you, you got there, and uh, they, had, they had two tables. They had, they had the real table, 
and then they had the jacked up kids table. It was some raggedy old card table. It was wobbly, or they pushed some nightstands together and threw right a, a tablecloth over it. Like that was a, jammed all the grandkids around it. You're eating off your knees, right? It was just one of the. And all I don't know about you, but all I could think about when I was that young was getting to the real table. I want to get to anybody else. Count how many people were ahead of you, right? You were counting how many, how many more people. How many people have to stop showing up one way or the other? For me to get up there. Danielle and I were talking about it yesterday. She was like, man, I was third. I was third. I was third. The problem is that not, it's not just your third. That some of the people who are ahead of you, they start to date people. And then you get bumped from other people you don't even know. It's messed up. I don't know about you, but I started, I, 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 I was this kid. I started trouble between aunts and uncles with the hope that they wouldn't show up next year. So I could, come on, so I could get their seat at the table. I think the danger of that truly is, though, when we look at our spiritual selves, is that our soul is always looking for a better table. Our soul is always looking for a better seat, one that will cause others to see us in better light, or maybe even more importantly, for ourselves to see ourselves in a better light. We're always looking for a better table. And it's our natural tendency to drift from the table that God has us at, even when we're at the king's table. To begin to think that there's probably better options out there if I just keep my options open. And the reality is, I think, like, Dave, uh, like Jesus, when he was tempted in the wilderness, we all face this same kind of temptation that he faced in Luke chapter 4 when the enemy brought before him all the kingdoms of the world. He showed him all the glory. He said, look at all the glory of the world. And it's what he does with you and I. He entices us. He puts everything on a silver platter. He, we open up Instagram, and you don't see somebody, come on, with their hair all messy, right? They're in sweatpants. You see the most amazing couple you've ever seen. They're at the most amazing spot that you've dreamed about going to. They live in the most amazing house. And the enemy just continues to put in front of you, there's a better table out there. If you just don't give and don't do and cut some corners and maybe step on a few people as you go up the ladder. See, there's a better table out there for you and I. He convinces us time and time again that we are at the kids' table, but we deserve to be at the real table. Whatever that real table may be for you and for I, whatever glory looks like to us, he entices us to seek after that table. Whether that table be a marriage that that other couple has or the job that you've always wanted that will enable you to do what you think you should be able to do. Or whether you think that table will give you a different level of prestige or fame or recognition. Come on, I see it in my life. I see it in my pastor friends' lives all the time. In church, in church, in church. Men who love God and they are fighting for a seat at the table. Who's going to be the next mega church? Come on, who, who's going to be the next celebrity pastor? Who's going to be invited to the next? And I'm telling you time and time again, I have to wrestle with it in my own life because I'm not satisfied at the table with my king. There's got to be a better table. It's a temptation we all face. Your table may be different than mine, but the real question that we have to answer when our soul begins to chase those things is what are we chasing after? What is going to make you and I really feel whole? 
What is it that's going to make us finally be at peace? Finally settle down enough to cherish the table that he has us sitting at because he's at that table. Period. Jesus gives us the answer when he responds to the enemy's deception with the word. He says, no, no, God says, worship him and him alone and serve only him. What is Jesus doing? He's bringing our focus back to who God is, what God is doing in our life, where he's positioned. He's bringing himself, us back to Jesus. Only one table we need to be seated at, and it's at that table that you and I will find our true purpose. We will see our true value, and in doing so, we will be found seated, whole and at peace at his table. What a God we serve that would even invite us to his table. In this text today, we're going to see this over the next two weeks, this concept. Because in this text today, King Saul was dead and David has taken his throne. And he begins to ask if there's anyone left of Saul's household out there. Now this is kind of an uncertain question. Because is he asking because he wants to bless them or because he's like the godfather and dude's going to end up with a horse head in his bed, right? I mean, because I don't even know. Sometimes God starts asking you stuff, and you're like, I don't know your motive. God, I'm going to check you. I don't, why are you asking me this? Because I, no, I, there's going to be a horse head in my bed tomorrow. But David wants to seat him at his table. David wants this man by his side. To him, for them to grow in intimacy together, to, to restore his identity to health instead of brokenness. But he knows there are some obstacles that this man, Mephibosheth, the only heir that's left, must first face before he's willing to take his seat at the king's table. And like us, you and I have obstacles in our way. Fears that are generated through pain and through lies, things that we've gone through, things we believed about ourselves, and even things that we have believed about God, that we need to hit head on. Why? Because the king is inviting us to his table, and it will be those things that will keep our soul looking for another table. Because whether he says it or not, we're not so sure his table is the right table for our life. I get it. It's scary to surrender to Jesus wholeheartedly. It's scary to believe that he really knows what's best for our lives. Look at this text. Maybe we can learn something from it, be encouraged. Verse 3 says this is 2 Samuel 9. It says, Then the king, who was David, said, Is there not still someone of the house of Saul to whom I may show the kindness of God? But Ziba said to the king, There is still a son of Jonathan who is lame in his feet, so the king said to him, where is he? And Ziba, uh, Ziba said to the king, in, uh, indeed, he is in the house of Mekir, uh, the son of Emil in Lodabar. Then, uh, then King David sent him and brought him out of the house of uh, Mekiri uh, and uh, the son of Amiel from Lodabar. Now when Mephibosheth, the son of Jonathan, the son of Saul, had come to David, he fell on his faith, face and prostrated himself. Then David said, Mephibosheth, and he answered, here is your servant. Verse 11 says, as for Mephibosheth, said the king, he shall eat at my table like one of the king's sons. 
So Mephibosheth dwelt in Jerusalem, for he ate continually. Write that, underline that. He ate continually. He wasn't, a one, he wasn't an occasional visitor to God's table. He wasn't a, a, occasional. He didn't just go to the buffet. He didn't just go to the early bird dinner. He continually ate at the king's table, and he was lame in both his feet. Now, before we go any further in this, this is, I, I want to point out that this is a beautiful picture of us. This is a beautiful picture of salvation, of, of seeing Jesus' goodness and his kindness towards you and I. Because like Mephibosheth, who was an heir of Saul, and do you remember, Saul was not chosen by God, he was chosen by man. Saul always represents humanity's choices. He's one who wars against God's king and God's kingdom. See, that's what our natural self does. Our natural self is an heir of Saul. Man, our natural self wars against God. It wars against God's kingdom. And therefore, as heirs of Saul's line, we too, like Mephibosheth, end up broken and discarded, unable to make it to the king's table on our own. What can I do to get to the king's table on my own? Nothing. Say it with me, nothing. There is nothing you can do to get to the king's table on your own but this is what grace is when you hear us talking about grace this is what that picture looks like that you and I have no ability to come to the king on our own we are completely lame we are completely unable to walk out godliness and holiness on our own and if Mephibosheth had come to the king uninvited it would have meant his death that's why Romans 6.23 says, come on, when we come after we have not responded to the king's invitation, the wages of my sin, the wages of my life, the wages of my choices is death. But the gift of God, the free gift, is eternal life in the king, Jesus Christ. And this is the gift of God that we're looking at. This invitation that you and I have from the king of kings. Because only the king can bring us to his table. Man, and how beautiful is the picture of David like Jesus, because just like David, Jesus had to first face down the giants. He had to battle the enemy. He had to go into exile. He had to exist in a cave. He had to come victoriously out of the cave with warriors that would set up his kingdom. He had to ascend to his throne, and then he could call all the cripples to come. What a picture this is of the gospel of God's grace. This is the gospel of grace, the good news that Romans 5, 8 tells us. How do I know that God is passionately, fervently in love with me? Because when I was a sinner, when I was in Saul's camp, when I was broken and unable in my natural self to walk out the things of God on my own, Jesus Christ died and invited me to his table. In all of this, we not only see the goodness of the king, the love and mercy and kindness of the king. But we'll also see the purpose of the king towards our lives if we open up our eyes. The real question that all of us have to wrestle with during these times that we're going to talk about in our lives is what keeps us from coming to this table? What keeps us away from the table? And maybe even after we've come to the table like so many of us in this room have, we've already come to Jesus. What keeps us unsatisfied at the table. What keeps us always looking to change seats or looking for a better table to eat at when the king has brought us to this table? 
I think if we're going to understand a little bit about ourselves and a whole lot more about our king, we have to start maybe first with how Mephibosheth came to be in this situation. If you flip back a few chapters to 2 Samuel 4, verse 4 says that after the battle where Saul and Jonathan die at Jezreel, Mephibosheth's nurse is freaked out. So she picks up the child, Mephibosheth. She's in a hurry. She trips over herself, drops the boy. She drops the boy. He becomes crippled in his feet, and he becomes lame for life. He is broken and crippled. Why? Because his nurse dropped him. I think the challenge for us in, the, in this world, especially as modern Americans who are trying to be disciples of Jesus, is that we've been grown up on this kind of American dream where everything needs to be bigger and everything needs to be better and, and God loves you so much so everything will be great in your life and nothing bad is ever going to happen to you and everything's going to be fine. And It's like when you come to Jesus, you just hop on the unicorn and he rides you over rainbows and We've been taught and underscored this moment. So how do we respond when real life hits us? When what was supposed to support us and sustain us drops us? Because like Mephibosheth, so many of us find ourselves in situations in our lives like this. Hurt, lame, broken, emotionally, relationally, spiritually either because we were accidentally dropped by somebody else, or maybe it wasn't really an accident. Maybe they pushed you. Or maybe we fell on our own accord. We just done did it ourselves. But what do we do? What do we do when the marriage that was meant to support us goes away? Or that job that we counted on to sustain us lets us go? Or when that relationship or that church or that promise that we thought would bless us gives us an opportunity to break us. How do we respond when our nurse drops us? David answers this question. David writes in Psalm 20 verse 7, some trust in horses and some put their trust in chariots. Do you know why he says that? Because those are real options. Do you realize that our life, even now in Christ, is filled with lots of options? And a lot of times, we trust in things like ourselves and our own abilities, our own resources. We, we trust in our own decisions, in our own logic, in, in our own feelings, in our own heart. I'm just following after my heart. We, we trust in our own uh, our government, our, our politics, our family. I know just me and my, my if I'm good with my family, I'm all right. We trust in our acceptance. If I'm just accepted by others, I'll be good. We trust sometimes in being kind of tough enough that we don't need anyone else. I'm good all by myself. But those are chariots and horses. They're real. They're out there. All, they're tempting to us because they look strong. But when the enemy comes in like a flood, the Spirit of the Lord lifts up a standard against it. This is why David goes on and says, I can't trust in those things, man. I'm a king. I can have armies. I can have all those things. But I've got to trust in the name of the Lord my God. That's all I've got to trust. And trust determines who our God really is to us. Our trust does not determine who God really is. Our trust determines who our God really is to us. Because we can say, I trust God, but when 
Come on. The dropping comes when the breaking comes, when the crippleness comes. Who are we trusting in? I don't know about you. My first knee-jerk reaction is to rely on myself. I would love to say I have no other gods before him. But when the nurse drops me, who I turn to first reveals who my God really is. Am I alone? These are those real matters in life. This is why we talk about this here. Because it's too late after we're dropped. The truth is when we get dropped, we find ourselves moving away from the king's table, disappointed and dejected to a place of hiding like Mephibosheth did. It's a place that can give our soul permission to allow the voice of our brokenness to speak louder than the invitation of our king. It allows our soul to speak louder than the invitation of our king. And this is such a dangerous place for men and women of God. Why? Because it causes us It causes our soul to defend itself, to wait for a better situation. I know what God says, but I'm going to wait. He he dropped me. Where was he when I needed him? Where was he when my husband walked out? Where was he when my boss let me go after all those years? Where was he? Where was he? Where was he? I I know what the word says, but I'm going to wait for a better table. We're not alone in this. The disciples did it. After three and a half years of being with Jesus, not just on Sundays, come on somebody, every day he gets arrested. Mark chapter 14 says he gets arrested in the garden and they all go and hide until a better time, until a better table. Now I know one follows from a distance, Peter, and he denies him. The other one hides for a while and then says, well, maybe I should come out at least go see him at the cross. His name's John. But all the others allow their soul to position them to wait for a seemingly better table than this situation. The Bible tells me that one of them even ran away naked. The dude thought that being buck naked was safer, come on, than being in the presence of Jesus during a difficult time. He would rather be buck naked. That's somebody's worst nightmare. You have nightmares, you're out in public and you buck naked. He's saying, I'd rather be buck naked and praying in, 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 in the public than to be around Jesus because I'm not sure Jesus can change the situation because Jesus dropped me because I thought Jesus was going to do something different in the garden. I thought I knew who he really was. I thought I had a clue on what he should do. He let me down. He dropped me. We would rather wrestle with our greatest nightmare than be at his table when he's dropped us. And this is the disciples. The issue is, my friends, Mephibosheth ends up in the house of Makari in Lodabar. Now that may not sound like a big deal until I unpack it for you for a moment because this is where we find ourselves so often when we allow our soul to take us to a different table. Makari means enslaved. And Lodabar means no pasture and no fruitfulness. So in his rush, he ends up in a house of enslavement in a place of no fruitfulness. And what makes it worse is he settles in. He settles in. He makes this place his home. Don't get me wrong. I bet he wished he could get out 
I bet he dreamed things would be different. But he had no means to change his own situation. Oh, that we would learn this. Oh, that we would surrender to this one truth right here and right now. That so often when we find ourselves in these moments, we have no ability, no ability, no ability to change our own situation. By the way, Lodabar is right outside the city of Philadelphia, which I thought was cool for lots of reasons. But when we position ourselves outside of the city of love, we often find ourselves feeling like an outcast and rejected. We can see it from here, but we're not settled in it. Danielle and I, when we drive home, we can see Philly, from where, but we don't live in it. Come on, somebody. And I think that's the trap of being a disciple in this modern age, especially in modern America, is that we can see the love of Jesus, but so often we don't settle in it. We've seen the blessing of God. We've seen the favor of God. We see the outpouring of God. We see the love of God at every turn. But you and I have not learned to settle in it. And so we end up becoming like the Pharisee in Luke chapter 7. If you remember the story, he invites Jesus to his house. They're sitting at the table together. A woman comes in with an alabaster jar of perfume. She starts wiping his feet with her tears and with, his, with her hair, pours the ointment all over him, and the Pharisee gets lit up. He is just off his hinge that, that Jesus would allow something like that in his house at his table because he thought it was his table. Mm. Let me help you out. When the king's at the table, it ain't your table. He rolls up, and he's like, I can't believe it. Jesus says this, oh, you misunderstand. She has many sins, and because her many sins are forgiven, she has learned to love much. But you, you don't think you've sinned very much, so those who have not received forgiveness little, they love a little bit. He had love sitting at the table, but he wouldn't settle in with it. He was at the right table, but he was looking for a different seat. But she knew that love was the only thing that could change her. She knew there was nothing that could else that could change her. There wasn't any other job, any other place she could go. There wasn't anything else she could do. Only the love of Jesus could change her. And when you and I get to that point, when we understand it's only God's love that can get us out of what we're in, it will empower us to respond to the king's invitation even over our soul's objection. Because our soul's going to object time and time. It's my table. It's my table. Who does he think he is? What does he think he's doing? It's not your table. It's his table. How do I know? Because he loves me. This is why 1 John 4, 18 is so powerful. That's why we have to understand perfect understanding and experiencing the perfect love of Jesus will cast out my fear of rejection, cast out my fear of being disappointed, cast out my fear of being let down by Jesus again, cast out my fear of him hurting me again. The truth is there are there's a time when we all find ourselves in a position where we are unable to move ourselves, when we find ourselves in a position of inability of deficiency, of being unempowered to make a change. And when we're in that place, it requires our king to move on our behalf. Let me just say this. This may have come accidentally, but it does not undermine God's intentionality towards us. 
He, might, he may not have been the cause of Mephibosheth's brokenness, but neither will he allow it to discourage him to bring restoration between Mephibosheth and himself. Mephibosheth must have felt rejected, disappointed, and disheartened because he had been a prince, and now he was merely an outcast, seemingly forgotten and discarded in the dust. But there was a hidden blessing in the breaking. I'm going to say it again. There is a hidden blessing in the breaking. There is a hidden blessing in the break. Come on, somebody. Have we been so uh, indoctrinated with the prosperity gospel that we have forgotten the gospel that there is a blessing in the breaking? Jesus actually said, my body is broken for you. There was a blessing in the breaking of it all. The reality is there are some things that need to be broken in us. Attitudes, habits, generational belief systems that have kept us in Lodabar. It's kept us in a house of enslavement to offense, to unforgiveness, to unwillingness to move forward in a secret angst towards God himself. Unfruitful with no peace and no joy and no permanent transformation. Just living day by day by day trying to get to the end of my life. But here's the truth. The truth is it was actually him being crippled that kept him from being killed. He had been a prince of the kingdom with a claim to the throne when Saul died. But having been crippled, he posed no threat to David or to the new kingdom, so he was not killed. So many times it's so difficult, I think, to see how those moments, the moments when our nurse drops us, or when our hopes are shattered, or when we feel disavowed by others, to see that it's actually positioning us for a new life. Those things have positioned us to hear the king, to receive the king, to respond to the king's invitation, because we can't go anywhere without the king. I was just reading a, a book the other day, uh, about a, a Christian man who was, uh, who was innocent and unjustly thrown in jail in prison in Sudan. He was in Sudan because the Sudanese government had killed hundreds of thousands of Christians for just being Christian. And he was trying to help them both spiritually and physically to get through what they were going through. And they arrested him and they threw him in prison. While he was in prison, he was beaten and tortured, thrown in a cell with radical ISIS combatants who waterboarded him did all sorts of horrible uh, uh, beatings to him. But while he was in prison, he met another man, a Muslim man, who was there because he deserved to be there. He had broken all the laws. He had committed crimes. But while he was in prison, it had positioned him to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ through this man, Peter. And it changed his life forever. And yes, he still had to be in prison. And yes, he was still in prison for many, many more years. But that was only his temporary situation, not his re eternal reality. Where I am does not define me. What is done to me does not identify me. The feelings I have about myself are often lies, come on, rather than truth. I feel low, alone at times, but the Bible says I'll never leave you, I'll never forsake you. I feel unclean at times. I feel ashamed at times. But the Bible says, in Christ there's no condemnation in Jesus Christ. So there are these times when I, I, I have to allow my eternal reality to change the way I see my present situation. 
I love what Peter says at the end of the book. He says this, what is, what is spending a few months in prison compared to eternity in heaven? Don't you hate people like that? You read books like that, I'm like, I'm not even saved. But to be honest, that's why I read them. Because there are things I need to repent from. Because it shows a gap of intimacy, not between myself and Peter, or myself and church, or being a good Christian. It shows a gap in my love between me and my king. The reality is, my friends, that it was when Mephibosheth was in this place that a word from the king came. It was when he was in this place that a word from the king came. And it was carried on the voice of Ziba. Now that doesn't mean much until you understand that Ziba means appointed servant. Come on, so often when we were in these places, come on, these moments, God's appointed servant, the Holy Spirit, brings us his word. He brings back things to remembrance that Jesus spoke over us years ago, sermons that we heard, things that we've planted. He renews our mind. He changes our thinking. He convicts us of sin. David says in Psalm 23, he restores my soul. When did he restore his soul? When he was in the valley of the shadow of death. There was a restoration because the appointed servant showed up in those moments. Come on. If we are in the situation because we have been dropped or pushed or fallen or whether we're under persecution or hardship or brokenness, whether we are facing labor pains that are coming in the future, can I encourage you, take a breath and listen because the king is sending a word. The king is sending, I promise you, the king is sending a word. And the king's will is to move us beyond the breaking. The breaking may position us to receive the king's word, but his will is for you and I to move beyond the breaking. I don't know about you, but the pandemic got my attention in ways nothing else would. It challenged me in the ways my own spiritual life, the way that I saw church, the way that I saw God, the things I was striving after that I had put God's name to. The tragedy of George Floyd revealed in me things that were unmoved for decades inside of me. Blind spots that I didn't even know I, that existed that I had to then repent for. There are times of wounding, wounds that I have received, and some of those wounds are from my own hand, that forced me to trust in God's goodness and not my ability. Time and time and time and time again. I think the danger is, though, my friends, that when the king finally gets us out of something, especially something that we didn't think that we deserved to be in in the first place, anybody ever feel like you were in something you didn't deserve to be in in the first place? When God gets us out of that, we tend to be thankful but not grateful. And that's what keeps us looking for another table. Because we're thankful we're out of that table, but we ain't grateful to be at it. We see this in the Word. Luke chapter 17, we end up like the nine out of the ten lepers. Do you remember ten lepers come to Jesus? And he says, uh, look, go show yourselves to the priest and you'll be cleansed. Now they had to show themselves to the priest. They actually had to show the scars that were on their body of leprosy that they were healed in order for the priest then to be able to say, you're ceremonially clean, you can worship God again. 
So when they show up, Jesus did his thing, and the scars were still there, but they were healed. So they show them to the priest, and the priest say, awesome. Nine of them are thankful. One of them says, I'm grateful. I got to go back to the king. I, I, I'm too far away from where he is right now. I, I, there's too much. To, yeah, I can go into the temple, but I got to go to the table. And he comes back to Jesus. And the Bible says in verse 19 that he says, your faith has made you well. That Greek word means that even the scars disappeared. See, when we are thankful, we are healed, but we're still walking around with scars on our life. Come on, somebody. Because we're thankful for what God did, but we're reminded all the time of what we had to go through for God to do what he finally did. But when the scars are gone, we are nothing but grateful for who he is. The reality, my friends, is Mephibosheth's response needs to be our response. Faith. Faith is receiving the king's word, responding to the king's word, and trusting in the king's goodness without knowing the outcome. There was no promise attached to his invitation. He just said, go tell Mephibosheth, I want to see him. Man, I don't know what the outcome's going to be when I start to tithe, God. I don't know what the outcome's going to be, God, when I forgive that person who really hurt me. I'm not sure, God, what the outcome is going to be when I step across that line and go all in with you. Yeah, I know. Trust my goodness. Because your unwillingness to respond before you have to know the outcome reveals the gap of understanding in my love towards you. And when he showed up in front of the king, he fell down. He prostrated himself, which is a sign of surrender and submission. And in that moment, he proclaimed a shift in his allegiance. He said, I'm your servant. I'm no longer going to serve Saul. I'm going to serve you. I'm no longer going to serve myself. I'm going to serve you. I'm going to serve you. This is such a beautiful picture of repentance, admitting that we are wrong, and trusting in the king's goodness for our life without knowing the outcome. Romans 2.4, D said it already today, it's the goodness of God that leads us to repentance Because we understand that God wants the the good for us. It may not seem good to us, but he wants the good for us. And then it's allowing our lives to live out differently than we lived it out before. And allowing the king to decide who we are and what we're going to do. What table we're going to sit at. And if that means he brings me to the table, but my feet remain unchanged. I will trust my king. And if he brings me to the table and my feet still remain unchanged, I will trust my king. He is not good because he changed my feet. He's good because he invited me to his table. The Bible says Mephibosheth sat at the table, but his feet were not healed. And God just said to me, and I was wrestling with this, and I said, God, why? You have the ability to do it all. And he simply impressed upon me because he was not going to restore the things that would carry him away from the table. The truth is, my friends, sometimes he changes the table that we're at without changing what actually got us to the table. Because we have to know the tables enough. 
The table is what's good. It's not the healing that's good. It's not, it's not the blessing that's good. It's the invitation to the table that's good. It's the king's goodness. This is why Paul, he's wrestling with the second Corinthians, and he says, man, God, three seasons of life, I've prayed, I've fasted, I've called out for this thing, this thorn in my flesh, God, for you to take it away. And every time Jesus said, Paul, get it through you, man, i got to let you know my grace is sufficient. My grace, my goodness is sufficient because my power is made perfect in your weakness. He wants to keep us at the table. So he knows what will take us away from the table. We think that if he would just heal our feet, we'd be so thankful we'd never leave. But God knows the truth of our heart. And his will is to bring us to his table. Position us at his table. Keep us at his table. And it is at his table we learn that there is no other table we need to sit at. It's at his table we learn to honor the king and to enjoy the table. Do you remember when you transitioned from the kid's table to the real table? And you found out they had the same turkey at that table? (laughs) The same mashed potatoes, the same corn, the same jellied cranberry sauce that still had the can imprint? Same sweet potato pot. Come on, somebody. You had stressed. You had schemed. You had plotted. You had not enjoyed the table for years. Because if you could just get to the real table, then you'd be happy. But when you got there, you realized you were at the table all along. You were at the table all along. Why? What's keeping us from coming to the table of God? I mean, all in. I mean, pulling the seat up, putting the napkin under the belt. Come on, somebody. Digging in. Why? After all these years of us saying we love Jesus... Why are we still unsatisfied at sitting at his table? Why does he have to do more? Why does every day he has to keep proving himself to you over and over again as if he's in some sort of test to see how good he is? When the goodness is not because he healed his feet, the goodness is because he allowed someone like him to be at his table. Oh, don't get me wrong, we're going we're gonna to take it home next week. The goodness of God is so great. He does so much more. The king does so much more than even this. But my friends, if this is all he did, if this is all he did, could you say he's good? Can you say I've experienced the goodness of my God in the land of the living? Yup, I was broken, I was beaten, I was outcast, I was dropped, I was pushed, I fell, I was an outcast, I was living in Lodabar, I didn't see, I saw what love was, but I wasn't settled in it, but I heard the voice, the invitation of my king, and I came, and I just said, whatever your will may be, let it be, not my will, but your will be done, because I am your servant.
Daddy, just let me be at your table. Father, forgive us for wanting something more than being at your presence in the table. Forgive us for being like the Pharisee who thinks it's our table that you pull the seat up to. Oh, my God, come and move. Daddy, let us repent. Not for being mistaken, but for being in sin, for putting other gods before you, for trusting in other names more than your name. You said seek first the kingdom and then everything else will come. And I know so often we focus on everything else that's coming, but God seeking you is what you desire. God, forgive us for the envy we see when we open up social media. When we see that other couple, when someone else gets that promotion, when the house we wanted down the block gets bought, when someone else is on stage singing and we're still sitting, when someone else gets healed and we're still at the kid's table with wounded feet. My God, forgive us. Daddy, may this church, may Connect Church and all those who call this home. Father, move in our hearts in such a way. Forgive us. Break things in us that keep us being unsatisfied from being at your table. Let the fruit of the Holy Spirit of joy and peace overflow in our hearts today. And let us be glad that my king invited me to his table while I am still in the land of the living. Jesus. Jesus. Hey, church, we're just going to take a moment. It's not a right just for me as the pastor of the house to repent for us in the house. It's, in, it's us to call out to God, God, I need you. Jesus, I need you at this table, God. I want your table, Lord God. Daddy, forgive me. Forgive me, Lord God. Forgive me, Father, for not being satisfied with the table. Jesus, we need you. Set a passion in our hearts, a blaze that cannot be put out in Jesus' name. Daddy, we believe in gifts and signs and wonders. We believe in healings and miracles. But, Daddy, we proclaim the greatest miracle of your love is your invitation to be with someone like us at your table. Jesus, 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 how do I know? How do I know? How do I know that he loved me? Because when I was a sinner deserving of death, Jesus died in my place. No one beside you, Jesus. No one beside you, Jesus. Dee, can you just come up for a few moments? Can you just minister to us with song just for a moment? Church, come on. Let's just push in. Lean in just for a moment. We're going to go home in a moment, but I don't want to miss the Holy Spirit. I don't want to miss the breakthrough he wants. What is he saying to you? Maybe right now you're in a load of bar. Maybe you're in the house of enslavement. But I promise you, come on, somebody. The king's word is here. Take a breath. Listen. Listen, listen, listen.
It's not enough unless it's you, Lord. You're always enough. It's you or nothing. Yes. It's you or nothing. You're always enough. You're always enough. You're always enough. You You are good, and you're always enough. You are kind, and you are loving. Jesus. You are faithful, you are true, and you're always enough. You're always enough. Church, I just feel like we're not, we're just supposed to be silent up here for a minute, and you just call out to God. Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. May your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So give us this day 
our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us and lead us not into temptation but deliver us from evil for thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory are all yours forever and ever amen 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 hallelujah Hey, church, can you guys just stand with me? We're going to get ready to go. I'm really glad you came to church today. I'm glad you're in the house. As one last act of worship as you get ready to leave, I want to encourage you to respond, not only with your heart, but respond in the worship of giving today as well. There's a slide up here on the screen. It tells you all the different ways with the envelopes with the QR code. And by the way, that QR code will take you to all, any information you want about church, how to be involved in shoulder-to-shoulder or, or forged, our discipleship programs. Some may trust in chariots. Some may trust in horses. But I will trust in the name of the Lord my God. When I respond to that by giving that is a part of my trust it is not the only way that I trust it is not a massive top level this is a, a way that I show that I, that I trust God God I trust in your name I trust that this giving is going to make a difference I trust it's going to bless you I trust that it's good. you're going to multiply it and you're going to use it to reach out and not only to feed 165 people, but 185 and 200 people. And not just to see six people, but eight people and ten people. And not just to see three middle schoolers, but ten middle schoolers. Like, that's what we do when we give. We're saying, God, I trust you, not just with this money, but everything that we do together. I will trust in the name of the Lord my God. When I read that the other day, I was reminded that on my money, it says, in God we trust. And it made me question whether or not I do with that. It's not enough for it to say it. It needs me to do it. What a God we serve. I'm going to wish one more person a happy birthday today. We had a, the sweetest woman of God that was here for so long, and she just moved to Atlanta, and it happens to be Nancy Dean's birthday. My friend Nancy Dean, we know you're watching. We love you so much. We miss you. We know God has placed you in Atlanta for such a time as this, but Connect's always your home. So happy birthday. Let me pray over you. I'm going to invite you not just to come back next week, but I'm inviting you to bring a friend back next week. I'm going to invite you to go over these notes this week that you've took or we watch this video. Go back to the podcast. Let's get this in us so that it can start to come out of us. There's blessing in the breaking. None of us like it, but there's blessing in the breaking. Father, in the name of Jesus.
I thank you for every man, every woman, every teenager, every middle schooler, every tweener, Lord God, every child in, chi in, in, in children's ministry, every person serving around this building right now in the name of Jesus. I thank you for who you are. I thank you, Lord God, that you are good and gracious and that you are kind and merciful, that your word goes forth and it does not come back void. It does what it is called to do and releases things in us, Lord God, that draws us closer to you. Lord God, restore the identity of health in each person. Lord God, renew a steadfast spirit inside of us, Lord God. Create a clean heart in us, Lord Jesus. Put a new song in our, in, our, in our mouths this week as we drive to work, as we're standing in the shower, as we're at line at Starbucks. Lord God, as we're picking up takeout, let the voice, the prophetic voice of God overflow out of us. And whatever we face, whether dropped, pushed, or fallen, may we remember the goodness of our God still exists in the land of the living. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Amen. God bless you, church. I love you so much. Transform this world one life at a time. I'll see you next week.